Friday, February the 11th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, American inflation jumps and Americans in Ukraine told to leave. First, the world in brief. America's Consumer Price Index, which tracks the cost of goods, rose by 7.5% in January compared with the year before, its largest annual increase since 1982. Food, electricity and housing were the main drivers. While many central banks have raised interest rates to combat inflation, America's Federal Reserve lags behind, though it has signalled that rate increases are coming. President Joe Biden urged Americans in Ukraine to leave immediately because of the growing threat of a Russian invasion. With around 135,000 Russian troops amassed on Ukraine's borders, he warned that, quote, things could go crazy quickly. Diplomatic efforts to defuse tensions are making little progress. On Thursday, Ukraine accused the Kremlin of blockading its sea routes. Emmanuel Macron, France's president, announced plans to build six nuclear reactors over the coming decades to be managed by the state-controlled electricity provider. He said the first would come online by 2035. Studies will assess the feasibility of building eight additional plants. European countries have taken very different approaches to the green energy source. Germany, by contrast, is shutting down its reactors. The Biden administration called on Canada's federal authorities to intervene to break a blockade by lorry drivers along the US-Canada border. The dispute, which began as a protest about vaccine mandates, has disrupted car makers' operations in both countries. Toyota suspended production at plants in Ontario and Kentucky until Saturday. The mayor of Windsor, a Canadian border city, sought a court order to remove the protesters. Dame Cressida Dick said she would stand down as Commissioner of London's Metropolitan Police. The city's mayor, Sadiq Khan, said he was, quote, not satisfied with her response to a watchdog's allegations of widespread misogyny, discrimination and sexual harassment within the ranks of the police. Losing his confidence gave her, quote, no choice but to step aside, she said. Libya's parliament named a new prime minister, only to have the leader of the UN-backed unity government say he would not cede power. Fatih Bashaga was picked to replace Abdul Hamid Biba, the current Prime Minister. But Mr Biba has called for fresh elections instead. The rift risks plunging the country back into a conflict between parallel administrations, which divided Libya between 2014 and 2020. Sting became the latest rock star to sell his back catalogue. Universal Music Group reportedly paid $300 million for the rights to songs written by the former police singer. Music labels and investment funds have spent billions in recent years buying the works of big-selling artists, including Bob Dylan and Taylor Swift. They are betting that streaming services will offer them a long-term source of revenue. And fact of the day, 39,598. The number of voters aged 100 or over in Uttar Pradesh, India's biggest state. And now, here's today's agenda. 
the mother of modern Mexico. Not much is known about La Malinche, the enslaved Aztec woman who played a crucial role in the Spanish conquest of Mexico. She served as an interpreter for Hernán Cortés, the Spanish expedition leader, and later bore his first son. Over the centuries, different groups have projected their own beliefs onto her legacy. Some denounce her as a traitor to her people. Others see her as a powerless woman who did what was necessary to survive after her mother sold her into slavery. Still, others revere her for giving birth, both literally and symbolically, to the mestizo identity of many Mexicans. A new exhibition at the Denver Art Museum brings together these various perspectives. Traitor, Survivor, Icon, which opened on Sunday, spans five centuries and features artwork from Mexico, France and the United States. It presents a complex, often contradictory portrait of Mexico and its mother. Worrying times for Hong Kong's unjabbed elderly Last year, Hong Kong went months without an untraceable, locally transmitted COVID-19 infection, thanks to tight border controls and a stringent test, trace and quarantine regime. No longer. This week it logged thousands of new cases, by far its worst outbreak yet. The territory now finds itself host to two natural COVID experiments. The first is whether, once Omicron gets loose, it is possible to enforce a quote, dynamic zero COVID strategy, in essence, trying to stop transmission wherever it arises. The government has decided that fully locking down the densely populated city is unfeasible. It hopes harsh measures, including limiting gatherings to two people, will quash the outbreak. The second is whether Omicron is still less severe than previous variants when encountered by an unprotected elderly population. Because of Hong Kong's previous COVID success and some government bungling, only 34% of over 80s have been fully jabbed, although Sinovac and Pfizer jabs have been available for a year. Apollo Eyes Bumper Results Full-year results for Apollo Global Management, revealed on Friday, could well be the firm's strongest ever, in keeping with those of other giants of private market investing. All have benefited from years of low interest rates, which make debt cheap. Apollo hopes to double its assets, currently approaching $500 billion within a few years. Its mainstay is private debt. On the liability side, it wants to lure more capital from rich individuals, having long relied mostly on institutions. Higher interest rates and volatility will bring both challenges and opportunities. Pricier debt will make some deals trickier, but there will be more troubled assets to snap up. Apollo CEO, Mark Rowan, will hope questions about the firm's co-founder and former CEO, Leon Black, will not overshadow plans for growth. Mr Black left Apollo in March 2021, after an inquiry into his business dealings with the late financier Jeffrey Epstein, a convicted paedophile. Mr Black claims to be the victim of a plot to quote, destroy him, hatched by a former colleague, who denies it. Russia's central bankers left guessing. 
Since America imposed the first wave of economic penalties on Russia in 2014, Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, has been trying to sanction-proof the economy. But his central bankers still have plenty to worry about when they meet on Friday. The possibility of war with Ukraine has caused the ruble to slump. Inflation is running hot at above 8%. Last month, the bank decided on a 1 percentage point interest rate rise. Analysts expect a repeat. Mr Putin gives his technocrats free reign with monetary policy. But their best course of action depends on his next move, and he is hard to predict. Sanctions following an invasion of Ukraine would not wreck the economy, but they would hobble the ruble and send inflation rising further. More rate rises would be needed. Yet perhaps a diplomatic climb-down is in the works. Russia's central bankers must wait on tenter hooks like everyone else. Iran's Raisi Revolution Iranians voted overwhelmingly for an Islamic Republic in the referendum that followed their revolution against the Shah, which took place on this day in 1979. But 43 years later, that enthusiasm has waned. Most Iranians were born after the revolution and view their ageing clerical ruler, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, with a disdain similar to that felt by their parents and grandparents for the Shah. Turnout in last year's presidential election was the lowest ever. The hardline winner, Ibrahim Raisi, was more shoehorned into office by Mr Khamenei than voted in by the people. Still, his performance has surprised many. He has accelerated the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines, sharply reducing Iran's death toll. Its Shia theocrats are talking to Sunni neighbours in the Gulf, as well as to Afghanistan's Taliban rulers. And Western negotiators say they could be on the verge of a breakthrough with Iran over a restoration of a moribund nuclear deal and the easing of crippling sanctions. Still, it is too soon for Iran's people to cheer. Finally, here's the quote of the day from René Descartes, who died on this day in 1650. It is not enough to have a good mind. The main thing is to use it well. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.